Awesome. Well, hey, let's grab our Bibles. Or if you have a device with some kind of Bible app, you can turn your Bibles on. It's hard to believe, but today we are ending our series on the Ten Commandments called Living Free. So we're headed back one more time to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Well, just last weekend, my family and I decided to drive around Cartersville looking at houses. We're still trying to move in closer to the city, and so we're sitting around last Saturday going, what what do we do? Well, why don't we go up there and see what's available? So we went from neighborhood to neighborhood, and I found some new houses that were being built in one of the neighborhoods, and one of them was open, so we decided to walk through it. Well, it became apparent very quickly as we walked through this house that it was a little outside our price range, okay? I won't tell you how much it cost, but I will tell you, we ain't moving in, okay? So we walked through this house, killer house, and when we leave, my oldest daughter says to me as we're driving away, Daddy, I really like that red house. We should buy it and move in. And in that moment, I'll be honest, something inside of me thought, wish we could. Wish we could. Must be nice living in a house like that. We've all had those desires, haven't we? Desires to possess something that didn't belong to us, but instead belonged to someone else. Listen, those desires have a name, and it's called coveting. And as we're going to see in the Tenth Commandment today, God says, don't do it. If you have your Bibles open to Exodus 20, let's read together. Verse 17, this is God speaking He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now that word that you see there in verse 17, covet, it simply means to crave or yearn for something that belongs to someone else. And so God simply says, don't crave or yearn for anything associated with your neighbor's house or household. Back then, it would have included your neighbor's husband or wife, their servants, their animals, the list goes on and on. Uh, Today for us, it includes your neighbor's husband or wife, along with their money, their business, their vacation home, their TV that's bigger than yours, their boat, list goes on and on, right? You get the idea. But, But I don't know if you caught this, God takes it a step further, and he then goes on to say, don't covet anything, anything that is your neighbor's. You see, we need to know today that nothing is off the table when it comes to coveting. So, for example, if you've ever uh, thought about your neighbor and and just said to yourself, man, I wish I looked like him, I wish I looked like her, well, you're coveting in that moment your neighbor's looks or their body type. If you've ever thought, I wish I could do the things he does or do the things she does, now you're coveting your neighbor's abilities, gifts, and talents. If you've ever thought, I wish I could see the things she has seen or, or go the places he's gone. Now you're coveting your neighbor's life experiences. You with me? I mean, I could give other examples, but you're smart people, so I trust you get the point. And the point, again, is this. Anytime you and I crave or yearn for anything that doesn't belong to us, regardless of what it is, we're guilty of breaking the Tenth Commandment. Now... I would assume that there is at least one person in the room thinking right now, James, really? Like, is this really that big of a deal? I mean, over the last few weeks, we have talked about stuff that we all know is a big deal. Murder, adultery, stealing, lying. But wanting someone that's, uh, wanting something that someone else has, I mean, is that really serious enough for God to include in the top ten list of things we shouldn't do? 
Great question, fair question, and here's the answer. According to the rest of the Bible, yes, it is that serious. For example, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus himself uh, lumps coveting into a category of behaviors that he deems as evil, including murder, adultery, sin, uh, sexual immorality, and pride. In Ephesians 5.5, 5, the Apostle Paul equates coveting with idolatry, and he says the covetous person has no place in the kingdom of God. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy 6.9 to say that covetous desires can actually ruin and destroy people's lives. And all this starts to make a whole lot of sense when you understand how coveting works, how it progresses, and where it leads. And, and I want to help you understand that today, all right? So stay with me. If you're taking notes, write this down, and we'll just walk through it. Here is where coveting begins. It begins with comparing. You look at your stuff, and then you look at your neighbor's stuff, and you decide that you like your neighbor's stuff more than your stuff. Well, their stuff is newer than mine. It's more expensive than mine. It's faster than mine. It's bigger than mine, right? You get the idea. You're comparing your stuff to their stuff. Their stuff's better than your stuff in your mind. Or it happens when you're watching TV or you're reading that magazine and the coveting producer called marketing does its job in your life, right? How many of us in the room are marketing majors? Anybody? Nobody has wanted to really confess this today. I see some hands, but everybody's kind of been here. They're like, dude, I ain't confessing to that. I ain't confessing to helping people sin, right? Listen, I need you to know nothing wrong or evil about marketing, okay? Uh, but marketing does cause people to do some wrong, sinful things, Right? You're watching TV, you see the commercial, you see the ad in the magazine, and all of a sudden, you're comparing what you have to what you see in front of you. And as you compare, here's what happens next. Discontentment sets in. You're looking at your stuff, you're looking at your neighbor's stuff, or, or the stuff on TV or in the magazine, and you're no longer satisfied with your stuff. It's like that kid at Christmas who gets the gift from grandma, and he opens the box, and you can tell just by the look on his face that he was hoping it was going to be something else, right? I'll never forget as a young teenager being that kid at Christmas. I'm at my grandparents' house, open the gift from grandma, and inside is a gray sweatshirt with a deer on the front. Now listen, I, I know you're probably thinking, well, James, you look like the kind of guy that could pull off the deer sweatshirt. And, and I appreciate that. It's kind. It's not really my look. It might be your look, but it's not my look. So I was that kid, Right? I have the gift in my hand, the fake smile on my face. I'm saying thank you. And in the back of my mind, I'm trying to figure out if I can put it in the garbage can without anyone noticing. Now, I didn't do it, okay, because I knew that if I got rid of this gift, I would be dishonoring my grandmother. Look, the same is true when it comes to you growing discontent with your stuff. Here's why. Because according to the Bible, God gave you your stuff, Right? According to the Bible, God is your provider. God, according to what he says in his word, only gives his children good gifts. So whatever God's given you, it's a good thing regardless of whether or not you see it that way. Look, when you know that all you deserve from God is hell, it becomes a whole lot easier to see his gifts as good. Amen? He only gives you good gifts. When you forget that and you start comparing your stuff to other people's stuff, and discontentment sets in, all of a sudden, you're not just complaining anymore about your stuff, you're grumbling against the God who gave it to you. That's dishonoring. I got a small taste of this this past week with my own daughters. Uh, my wife brought home a little stuffed unicorn for our one-year-old. And so she takes it out of the bag, and she gives it to her, and she's smiling and laughing, 
and my oldest daughter is complaining. Well, mommy, you bought Selah, this unicorn. What did you buy me? Right? I, I wanted that purple and pink monkey I, I saw at the store, and you didn't buy it for me. This girl has more stuffed animals than she knows what to do with. Right In the same week, we had just bought her this little play outfit that she had been asking for as a gift from me and her mom. Yet here she is in this moment grumbling and complaining against us as if the gifts we've given her aren't enough for her. Not only did she dishonor us as her parents in that moment, but she also missed out on rejoicing with her sister over the gift she received. Look, that's what coveting does. That's what coveting does. It creates feelings of anger, bitterness, and jealousy in your heart toward God. Right In your mind, you're sitting here thinking, he hasn't given me what I need. He hasn't given me enough to satisfy me. It also creates feelings of anger, bitterness, and jealousy in your heart toward other people. And I'll help you figure out if this is you, all right? Think about it. Who are you jealous of right now? Who are you jealous of? Who's that person in your life that hasn't done a single thing to you, yet you feel angry and bitter towards them because they have something you want and don't have? It's it's easy to know when this is you, right? Because like my daughter, you're unable to rejoice with that person over the gifts God has given them. Got a promotion. Oh, good for you, right? I'm probably going to be stuck at this dead-end job for the rest of my life. I got engaged. Awesome. Well, I'm still single. Probably always will be. We're pregnant. Good for you. Been trying to get pregnant for years. Nothing's working. Nothing's working. Can I tell you why these feelings are so dangerous? Look, when feelings of discontentment settle into your heart, the next thing you do is you start conspiring. You conspire against both God and your neighbor, and as a result, you start breaking other commandments to get what you want. And I'll give you some biblical examples to give you clarity on what I mean, all right? Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 21, we meet a king named Ahab. Ahab, he sees a vineyard that's pretty close to his palace. It belongs to a man named Naboth, and Ahab wants it. He's coveting in his heart. And so he goes to Naboth, and he says, hey, I'd really like to buy your vineyard, or if you don't want to sell it, I'll just trade you for a better one. Well, Naboth was a Jewish guy. He lived in the promised land. God had given his people. And God's instruction to his people was this. Don't be selling away the land I gave you. Don't be trading it for your own personal gain. So Naboth, to honor God, comes back to the king and says, King, I I can't give you my vineyard. Well, the Bible says that Ahab, he actually pitches a fit. He goes to his home. He locks himself in his room, turns his face away, refuses to eat. And then finally, his wife, Jezebel, who was a crazy, evil woman, she comes and she finds him. And just a quick side note here, young single guys in the room, avoid dating crazy, evil women, okay? Look, look, listen, I I know, look, I know she may be hot, but so is hell, all right? And it's not the best criteria to use when looking for somebody to date or marry. If you date or marry a crazy, evil woman, she will wreck your life. The proof is found in Ahab's story. Crazy Jezebel comes and and she finds her husband pitching a fit and she says, babe, what's wrong? And he tells her. And so in her mind, she goes, I'm going to take care of my guy. And she starts conspiring against Naboth. She makes up this whole story about how he committed blasphemy against both God and the king. She goes out and bribes two false witnesses to go along with her story against Naboth. And eventually this man is put to death for something he never did. And then Ahab, he swoops in, and he takes the vineyard. So look, it started with coveting. 
Started with coveting, it moved on to lying, so he broke commandment number nine. From there it went to murder, broke commandment number six. And from there it went to stealing, broke commandment number eight. And the result of all this was, was that, that eventually Ahab and Jezebel, they were put to death and thrown to the dogs. The same dogs that licked up Naboth's blood licked up their blood. Always goes bad. Another story in the Bible where we see this progression playing out is David's story. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read that Israel's army was away at war. David, who was the king of Israel at the time, should have been with them, but for some reason he wasn't. He decided to stay back home. And late one afternoon, he takes a walk on the roof of his palace, and across the way, he sees this beautiful naked woman taking a bath. Now, another quick side note here for the men in the room. Men, look, if David who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, could not look at a naked woman who wasn't his wife without doing something really stupid and jacking his life up. If he couldn't handle it, neither can you. Neither can, neither can I. None of us can. Men, it's why you and I need to be like Job, and we need to make a covenant with our eyes not to look lustfully on our Christian uh, sisters in the room, outside of the room, or any other woman for that matter. Right? And I know it's hard because we live in a, in a culture that is highly sexualized. Anytime you turn your head or you turn the TV on, there is an attractive woman who's half-dressed. If you want to look at pornography, all you do today is take your phone out. It's tough. Which is why, men, you need to learn to walk intimately with Jesus each and every day. You need to put some safeguards up in your life, including accountability. Right? Guys, we need other men in our lives who can pray for us, encourage us, men that we can confess our sins to. Every single one of us need it, including this guy on the platform. There's too much at stake for us to get this wrong. Ladies in the room, let me say something to you as your pastor who loves you, okay? Before we get back to the story, hear my heart in this, all right? Women, be wise in the way you dress. Be wise in the way you dress. If you put something on or intentionally leave something off, in an attempt to get a guy to covet you, you have not only dishonored your Christian brother, but you've dishonored the Lord. Ladies, always check your heart before you check the mirror and be wise in the way you dress. Let's go back to the story. In verse 4 of 2 Samuel 11, the Bible says that David took this woman that he coveted. It's crazy, isn't it? He used his position as king to forcefully bring this woman into his home. He stole her. He committed theft, broke commandment uh, number eight. He then slept with this married woman and got her pregnant, broke commandment number seven, committed adultery. And then to cover the whole thing up, he murdered her husband, broke commandment six. What was the result of this in David's life? Well, his joy disappeared. His health faded. His family fell apart. Three of his sons were killed, and he lost his influence as king of Israel. Are you starting to pick up on the seriousness of coveting? Are you starting to understand why God tells us not to go here? Look, it's so important for us to, to realize today what we've been talking about for the last nine weeks, that we have a God who is a good father, loves us more than we could ever comprehend, and he is for our freedom. He's for our freedom. So much so that he put his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross to die in our place for our sins that we might be free. You see, this commandment against coveting, uh, it's not self-denial for the sake of self-denial, right? God's not telling us not to covet because he's trying to be a jerk or ruin our fun. 
He just knows that these cravings, these sinful desires that live inside of us, they have the power to wreck our lives and to send people to hell. God's trying to put the brakes on for us before we ever get there. If you're taking notes, I want to make it really simple for you today. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Sinful deeds start with sinful desires. Why does God prohibit coveting? This is the very simple answer. Because sinful deeds start with sinful desires. Any sinful behavior that comes forth from your life first begins as a sinful desire in your heart. You see something you want, you see something you don't have, and if you don't put that desire to death by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that desire then carries you into sin that dishonors God, hurts you, and damages other people. God knows it. And so God, in the 10th commandment, he's going, okay, let's forget about behavior. Let's talk about what's going on inside your heart, right? It reminds us, this commandment against coveting, that God isn't only concerned with what we do, he's concerned with what we want to do. It proves what I've been teaching you for the past nine weeks, that we have a God who isn't only after our behavior, he's after our hearts. And so in light of that truth, what in the world do we do with all this? Like if we're not supposed to covet, what are we supposed to do instead? Well, I'll show you the answer. Here it is. Be content with what you have. Don't covet, but instead be content with what you have. Now, look, can we just all agree? Can we all agree? Much easier said than done, right? You see, contentment is not something that that you just resolve to possess. It's not something that you work hard by your own power and strength to attain. Like, you're not going to leave here today and wake up tomorrow and go, all right, I'm going to do what James said yesterday. I'm going to be content. doesn't work that way. Contentment is a heart issue. And it comes as a result of you knowing, remembering, and practicing some things day in and day out. And I want to give you a few of those things now, okay? Number one, you need to remember that contentment happens from the inside out. It happens from the inside out. Now, this is a countercultural idea. Culture says to us, no, no, contentment happens from the outside in, which is crazy when you think about it, because where does coveting begin? Uh, On the inside, right? I mean, that's what we've already learned. It begins as a sinful desire. All of a sudden, discontentment sets in, and it works its way out in in behavior that conspires against God and people. It's crazy. Culture's remedy to this inside-out problem is this. Just get more stuff. You want to fix what's broken and wrong inside of you? Just get more stuff, and the more stuff you get, the more content you'll be. The unfortunate part is that you and I, and, and I'm guilty of this at times, we buy it, don't we? We'll buy into, if we're not careful, those if-only lies that the world feeds us. Well, if only I had more of what I don't have. If only I had more of what other people have. Well, I'd finally be content. And at first, we are more content, right? We get that thing, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. We get into that relationship. Oh, this is awesome. But then the contentment fades quickly. I mean, I experienced the truth of this just last week. Last weekend, my TV of nine years decided it was done working, so it died Rest in peace, Samsung Plasma, right? So got it out of the house, went to the store, bought a new TV, got it out of the box, box, set it up. Awesome TV, so excited about it. And here we are a week later, and it's just a TV again. The excitement and the contentment that the TV brought in the moment, well, it's already gone a week later. We've all been there, haven't we? We buy the new iPhone, and a week later, Apple decides to release the next model. And we're like, dang, right? At least I was content for a week. Or we go and, and we, 
We visit the dealership, buy the new car, and it's awesome. Never seen it on the road. But then we leave the dealership, and it's like everybody and their mama decided to buy the same car as us. It's crazy. Or again, what about this? You finally, single person, get into that relationship. And you think it's going to change your life. Oh my gosh, I finally found a woman. I found a man. This is amazing. And then two months in, you're bored. Why? Why does this happen? Well, it's simple. Because contentment, it doesn't happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. One of the greatest examples of this truth we find in all the Bible is in the life of the uh, Apostle Paul. You you find him writing in Philippians chapter 4, and he's writing from a prison cell. Not the place that you'd ever associate with contentment, am I right? Yet Paul, in prison, is saying, I'm content. I'm content. Everything's fine. I'm content. And he shares with us the secret of his contentment. Read this with me. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the key. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So contrary to what some of us think, Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 has nothing to do with football or lifting weights. Has everything to do with contentment. Paul's saying here, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter if, if I'm rich, if I'm poor, if I have everything that I need, or, or if I feel like I'm in need. It doesn't matter if I'm starving or if my belly is full. I'm content. None of these outward things, these external things, can offer me contentment. Contentment is found in one and one thing only, Jesus and the strength he offers me. Do you want to be content today? That's the key. You look to Jesus. You see, knowing contentment is theological before it's ever practical. You have to trust if you want to know true contentment in Jesus as Savior, God, Lord, and King. You put your faith in in his death on the cross in your place for your sins. You believe in his resurrection from the dead for you to, to conquer sin, death, and hell on your behalf and to usher you into new and eternal life. And look, you can't stop there, all right? A lot of people, this is the problem. Well, I know Jesus. I've believed in Jesus. Why am I not content? Are you walking with Jesus? you got to walk with Jesus. you got to know him and then walk with him. You walk with him through Bible reading, through prayer, through listening to the Holy Spirit. You walk with Jesus by getting engaged in Christian community, taking part in corporate worship, following his teachings, obeying his commands. And as you walk with the Lord, something amazing happens. Over time, Jesus starts producing in you an inward peace and satisfaction that cannot be produced nor affected by uh, outward circumstances. Isn't that amazing? Let me say it again. Contentment is a heart issue. You can accumulate all the stuff you want, and your stuff will never change your heart. Only Jesus can do that for you. It happens from the inside out. Second thing is this, contentment grows with gratitude for God's provision. It grows with gratitude for God's provision. Do you ever complain to God that you don't have certain things you want? God, I've been asking, I still don't have it. My neighbor down the street, they have it, and I'm, I'm, I'm a better person than they are, why don't I have it, right? You ever been there? It's easy to complain to God that we don't have things we want, isn't it? Now let me ask you this, how often do you stop and thank God that you have what you need? Like, how many days out of the week do you open your eyes and go, God, thanks that I have a roof over my head. 
I may only have a few outfits hanging in the closet, but God, I'm grateful that I have clothes to wear at all. God, thanks for the, the food that I eat every day. Thanks for the car I get to drive. It might be old and busted, but at least I got one. And I was hanging out with my dad yesterday, and he's got this old 1996 Ford inline six, 400,000 miles on this truck. And I'm hanging with my dad, and he's going, man, I just love my truck. I'm so grateful for my truck. And I'm going, really? Like, you don't want something else? You don't want something newer, less miles? I love my truck. And in that moment, I went, that's how we all need to be. When it comes to, to the gifts that God has given us, we should be grateful. Here's why this is so important. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Contentment is impossible without gratitude. It's impossible. And I'll prove my point, all right? Let me take you back to Philippians 4 really quickly. Earlier in that chapter, Paul, he writes about the relationship between gratitude and contentment. And here's what he says starting in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So here's his teaching. Here's what he's saying. Uh, doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Don't worry about your circumstances, what you have or don't have. When you come to God, don't come in panic, in fear, in worry, or doubt. Come to God with thanksgiving. Thank God for who he is. Thank God for what he's done for you in and through Jesus. Thank God for the needs in your life that he's met. And then let your request be made known to God. And we see the result of doing it this way in verse 7. Look at it. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of contentment. It's, it's a picture of the person who knows and in whatever situation, as Paul wrote earlier, whatever situation I am, I can be content because I have Jesus and he's all I need. This is why gratitude is so powerful. You see, gratitude calls our attention away from those things we don't have to the things we do have. And when you're busy thanking God for what you do have, you start to gain greater clarity on what to ask God for. And you don't ask him for all those things that you selfishly want. And the final result of that is contentment, contentment. So let me just say this, all right? And I'm saying it in love, but I'm gonna be direct, all right? Some of us need to stop complaining about what we don't have and we need to start thanking God for what we do have. And I promise if you will put this into practice, over time, your contentment will grow with gratitude. And then finally, number three, this is so good. Contentment comes from confidence in God's withholding. This is going to be hard for some of us to swallow, but I need to say it anyway because it's that important. Look, God isn't always going to give you what you want. Sometimes God is going to make you wait for what you want. And when God does this, hear me, don't miss it. This is so important. When God does this, it's not to punish you, it's to protect you. You see, God's smarter than you. You know that, right? If you've even got to think about that for a moment, that's the proof that God's smarter than you, okay? He's, he's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. He's smarter than all of us. And because God's smarter than us, he knows that he can't just give us everything we want. Because at times, what we want isn't the best thing for us. Or it at least isn't the best thing for us right now. And God knows that if he gives us what we want, we're going to miss out on something better. Or that thing's going to devastate our lives because we're not mature enough yet to handle it. 
I'll give you a picture. Last weekend, I'm at the zoo with my family. And my wife and my oldest daughter, they're in this gift shop looking at stuff. And so I'm outside the shop with my one-year-old, and I am feeding her goldfish. Not the real kind, but the snack kind, all right? Some weird stuff has been happening at zoos lately, so I need to make sure we're clear on that. But I'm feeding her goldfish, and I'm giving her one goldfish at a time, one goldfish at a time. And she starts to get frustrated that I'm only giving her one goldfish at a time. Well, if I I put more than one at a time down, she grabs them all and shoves them into her mouth. And so I'm giving her one at a time, and she starts fussing and screaming and pounding on her tray. And so here I am, a grown man trying to reason with a one-year-old. Baby, I just love you. Your daddy wants what's best. And and you're not at a place in your life just yet uh, where you can handle more than one goldfish. And listen, I kid you not, in this moment, as I'm saying this out loud to my daughter, this thought hit me. I wonder how many times God has felt like that with me. I wonder how many times God has felt that way with us. Like how often have we gone to God like the one-year-old demanding that God give us what we want Well, at the same time, God is saying back to us, it's not what's best. It's not what's best. It's not uh, not that I don't want to give it, but you're not ready for it just yet. You see, the problem that we face as broken, sinful people is this. We often confuse what we want with what we need. And we'll then get upset with God for withholding from us what we think we need when all he's withholding from us is what we want. Can I give you some good news? God never withholds from his kids what they need. Isn't that awesome news? He always makes sure that we have everything that we need. Here's what that means. It means in those moments and seasons when it feels like God is holding out on us that we can remain confident in his goodness and his provision as our loving heavenly father. Here's what that confidence sounds like, all right? Um, God, here's what I'm asking for, and I think it's what I need, but, but it might be what I want. And so if you withhold it from me, I'm just going to trust I don't need it, or, or at least I don't need it right now. God, I know that you're good, you're gracious, you're loving, you're kind, you want what's best for me. And so if you're not going to give me what I'm asking for, I'm going to trust there's something that, that you know that I don't know. And I don't even need to know what you know, because what I do know is that you're always going to give me everything I need. Do you know what the result of that type of confidence in God is? Contentment. It's contentment. Some of us need contentment today, don't we? Some of us walked into the room and, and we've been grabbing at all sorts of things to try and satisfy what's broken on the inside. We've been trying to trust in stuff and money and power and relationships to, to bring us the contentment we're looking for. And I just want to remind you again, nothing external can repair or fix what's going on in the inside of you. Nothing and no one outside of Jesus can produce contentment in your life. And so for those of us who would be honest enough to say, I need contentment today, as we get ready to close our time, we're just going to look to the only one who can give it to us, Jesus. So I just want to invite you all around the room to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And let's just settle in for the next few moments. I would just invite you to forget about all the distractions going on around you. Forget about the distractions that you brought in the the room with you today. And just focus your heart and your mind on the Lord. But let me first talk to those of you in the room who walked in without a relationship with Jesus. Like if you're that person who came today and 
And what I said is true about your life. You are that person who has been looking to everything and anything under the sun to find joy, satisfaction, contentment, peace in your life, and nothing has worked. And today you've realized, wow, you know, it's not working because none of those things were designed to give me what I'm looking for. Only Jesus can do that in my life. Like if you're that person who's never come to God, you've never confessed to him that you're a sinner in need of a savior, and you've never put your faith in Jesus as that savior you need, man, I want to help you do it right now in this moment. In your seat, in prayer, I would just invite you to say something like this to God. Just say to him, God, I confess today that I'm a sinful person, and I need a savior. And I believe Jesus is the Savior you sent and the Savior I need. I put my faith in his death on the cross for my sins. I put my faith in his resurrection from the dead on my behalf. And I believe that Jesus did all that so that I could know you, be loved by you, be accepted by you, and know contentment. And so God, today I'm I'm just asking you, would you forgive my sins? Would you take control of my life? God, welcome me into your family. Give me new life. God, as I I live each day and give me the eternal life that you promised those who trust in Jesus. I say yes to him. Listen, with heads bowed and, and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that with me, would you just acknowledge that? By lifting a hand. Just just throw your hand up. Listen, we got hands going up. Uh, just keep them up. We got our prayer team scattered throughout the room. If you're on our prayer team, I just want to ask you to start moving. Keep your hand up. Our prayer team's going to come, and they're going to put something in your hand, and they're going to move toward you quickly. As soon as they put it in your hand, you can just throw your hand right back down, but just keep them up. Keep them up. We got one over here on the side. We got some down here in the front. They're coming. They're coming. Just be patient. Be patient. Right down here in the front. They're coming, they're coming. Anybody else? Anybody else? Some over here on the side? Anybody else? It's awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? If, if you're in the room and you pray, we got one right here in the back on the side. Just throw it up real high. They're coming towards you right now. They're coming towards you right now. Anybody else? Amen. For the rest of us, for those of us in the room today who know Jesus, yet we still struggle with discontent, here is the invitation for you. Would you come in the next few moments and just lay your heart and your life down before the Lord? Would you in the next few moments come and and be willing to cast your mind off of all those things you don't have and to fix your heart and your mind on those things that that God's blessed you with. Maybe some of us need to come today and, and we need to start trusting in the goodness of God again. Because we've asked and we've asked and we asked and we, and we still don't have, but today we've realized that God is trying to protect us from something. We have what we need. We might not have all that we want. And you need to be reminded that, that God is good, that you can trust him. And so ask him for his help. God, in the next few moments, I'm just asking that You would pour out your spirit in this place. God, we're asking that you'd move in power, that you would do things in our hearts and in our lives that only you can do. God, we need you. We acknowledge that today. God, thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name. 
Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Listen, our our prayer team is here at the front of the room. If we can pray for you, we would love to do that as we respond. Uh, If you just want to come and kneel at the front of this room as an altar before the Lord, we'd love to place a hand on you and to pray over you as well, all right? You respond however God leads.